I don't see the occupation in Palestine in isolation of the global reality. Uh, I don't think it would exist without all the other connections in the world that make such uh, a brutal uh, military occupation exist. This is the Baladi Rooted Resistance Project, a series of stories of Palestinians resisting Israeli colonization and occupation with seeds, wild forage plants and homegrown vegetables. Palestinians who believe that food politics and food sovereignty intersects with the struggle for self-determination and freedom. We spoke with Vivian Sansour about her work to promote native fruit and vegetable seeds and the role of traditional agriculture in the struggle against Israel's colonization of Palestine. The interview was recorded at Vivian's Elbir Arts and Seeds venue in the West Bank town of Betsahur. The center has since relocated to the village of Batir, west of Bethlehem. So basically this space is called uh, Elbir Arts and Seeds and uh, the reason it's called Elbir Arts and Seeds uh, partly because of our location next to Mary's Well and the word beer in Arabic refers to uh, the well uh, and it's said that many miracles have happened in this well that people come drink from this water and miracles happen and it makes so much sense because uh, in a way uh, I think seeds are kind of miraculous uh, the way you see something that's kind of like a dead thing, but then it's actually not just alive, it, it, it is life-giving as well, and in abundance. Um, but also because um, it really comes from believing that uh, farmers are both uh, artists and scientists. They're artists because it requires a lot of imagination to be able to, to develop uh, the varieties of food that we have today. So our ancestors uh, had to go in the field and look at some wild little uh, grass and think, oh, maybe if I keep selecting and selecting and selecting, I'll get uh, a big, nice uh, wheat, which is what the wheat we have today. Uh, and it also requires, obviously, observation because then they had to watch and select and watch and select. So. The seed library really uh, is an attempt to collect uh, and to learn from and to preserve the knowledge of our ancestors who left us with something uh, quite amazing, something that was alive for thousands and thousands of years, uh, but also something that they developed through their, their hard work. And most importantly for us, uh, Every seed has with it a story, every seed has with it a tradition, a ritual. Uh, we have different practices that are entirely built and evolved around uh, our agricultural uh, practices. So uh, for me, I wanted to start this project because in some ways I was looking uh, for myself or for the stuff that really when I lived away from Palestine made me miss Palestine. I wanted to, uh, to eat uh, the purple carrot. I wanted to taste the Jadu'i watermelon. 
Uh, and these are things that were disappearing. And I felt like the more and more uh, of these varieties disappear, the more and more a part of us is lost. Um, and so I guess uh, in the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library, um, we try to collect these varieties and to bring them back to the field. So for example, this year we're working with 20 farmers um, and these 20 farmers are committed to growing uh, heirloom tomatoes, uh, the white cucumber, which is a kind of cucumber that uh, people used to grow here before the introduction of the green cucumber in the south. Um, also, we're working to revive uh, one of my favorite uh, grains, which is uh, al soda, which is uh, a wheat uh, that is also that is rain-fed. Uh, but this wheat um, often is referred to as um, Abu Samra, which means the dark and handsome one. And I find this fascinating because a lot of times when I talk to farmers, I go to different villages, and I bring up uh, Abu Samra, uh, people talk about it as this long-lost love, as, uh, you know, this, this person uh, that just left and uh, never came back. Uh, so for me, it's, uh, it's also amazing, also the memory that people have of a certain uh, kind of wheat, for example. So uh, many women, for example, talk about how great Abu Samra uh, was for when you need Abu Samra. And a lot of times people say, oh, Abu Samra, uh, his bread was tastier than cake. Um, and many, many people I talk to, farmers, they say, oh, um, if only Abu Samra would come back. So there's really like this uh, long-rooted uh, relationship with our grains, and we are a center of diversity for wheat. So imagine that we are a culture that, um, that belongs to a, a, a group of people who developed uh, the grains that feed the whole world today, pasta and cookies, but yet if you go in the fields, you find that the only varieties of wheat we grow are two varieties. Um, one of them is Israeli variety called Ariel. So imagine from uh, tens of varieties of wheat today, we are only growing um, two. And, uh, and even importing uh, flour and wheat. And that is true catastrophe because if people stop being able to produce their own food and then we become entirely dependent on other people, uh, other places to eat, then we really lose our sense of autonomy. So um, it's not just about uh, being autonomous, it's also about being a community that values itself, I guess. So, well, I'll speak first about the autonomy part. Many of these uh, heirloom varieties are actually uh, what we call bail, they're rain-fed. So we have summer varieties that uh, grow uh, and live off of the moisture that is retained in the soil from the rainy season and from the dew. But we also have varieties uh, in the winter, such as arugula, spinach, uh, and fava beans, and all kinds of beans and peas. Uh, that actually live off of the rain in the rainy season. Uh, wheat, for example, this particular wheat, Abu Samra, is um, uh, a winter crop, so we, we put it in the ground in November, 
and we kind of forget about it until May when we want to make frike, uh, which is an amazing uh, uh, experience if you've ever made frike because uh, and it's delicious uh, because basically the seed literally offers its body for you to burn it and eat it because we burn we burn the wheat and then we eat it uh, and for me it's 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 quite an amazing um, practice uh, because it is a symbol of the generosity and, and the abundance and also the trust. I think a lot of um, the challenges we face today as a human species is that we stopped trusting nature and started to want to control nature and it obviously resulted in us destroying ourselves. So I like heirloom varieties. I like heirloom varieties because they're autonomous, because they were developed for our microclimate, because through them uh, we can truly be uh, sovereign. Uh, I don't have to buy seeds from anybody. Every year I can produce my own seeds. And that is not a small thing, actually. Uh, it shouldn't be such a big deal. I mean, that's how people lived for millennia, right? But uh, today, uh, it's not just um, the military occupation we live under in Palestine, but it's also a greater political system and economic system in the world that is causing us to be slaves to uh, agribusiness companies, to um, multinationals that want to dump uh, their terrible food on us. Uh, so the West has awoken and is experiencing a renaissance of uh, figuring out that all oh, food has to be pure and wholesome. Uh, but the truth is, uh, while KFC is closing shop in the US, for example, they're dumping this kind of food on us. I love Easter, for example, and it's a, it's a time of uh, great celebration. And I think it's symbolic of the seed that the whole practice of Jesus dying and coming back to life. I find it fascinating also because we celebrate it in the time when the chickens start to lay eggs, when the seeds start to sprout. So it is a time of new life. And uh, in my town in Bejala, I used to go down uh, in Easter celebrations to smell the burning incense and the candles. Um, but today I go down to participate in that and smell the flowers and the burning incense. But instead I smell mixed with that uh, canola oil burning and frying chicken. Um, and that is uh, a tragedy because literally in that mix of aromas you really realize how your own culture, your own identity, your own way of life is being polluted uh, even within the aromatic sphere of your life. Um, so yeah, um, our seeds that we work with are primarily Ba'al and Ba'al refers to the Canaanite deity of um, fertility and destruction. And it's a word that we still use today to, to refer to these rain-fed uh, crops. Uh, and they are amazing because when you put a, a seed in the ground uh, that is bail, you are not just conserving a seed, you're also conserving a knowledge. 
you can't just say, oh, I put it in the ground. You have to really know when to put it in the ground, how to prepare your soil before you put it in the ground. So it's important, while we do have a lot of challenges in Palestine, it's important that we also take advantage of this great opportunity, which is that we still have this seed. We still have people who have this knowledge who can actually share it with us. Um, many people around the world have lost this connection. And so, in a way, for me, um, these seeds don't just represent uh, what I call our agri-resistance, but they also represent a, our ability to give something to the world. Because as the world is facing climate change, we are able now, through our seed varieties, to to give, to offer something to the world. Our part of our struggle with everybody else for um, a better planet and for conserving our biodiversity. So I, anyway, I think this is very important because uh, biodiversity is clearly uh, important uh, because uh, it represents cultural diversity. So whatever you grow, you develop and co-evolve with it a whole cultural practice. Um, I love so much when people come in, I keep uh, on the table uh, a piece of um, a glass corn, which is a very colorful corn. It's a very colorful corn and it's purple and it's yellow and uh, it has so many colors. So this corn is uh, plays a role in just uh, I, I put it there and kids come in, uh, adults come in, and they're like, what did you color this corn? And then it allows a conversation about uh, the diversity in the world uh, and that, you know, corn is not just yellow corn and also what it means to think that uh, it's just yellow corn or no corn. Um, but this is also how we think about a lot of things in life, right? Like you have to be a certain gender, a certain... Uh, um, way, a certain political belief, a certain social uh, uh, place or class in order to be acceptable. So I think the seed library also helps us to, well, at least I hope that the small contribution we make in the work of the seed library will not just provide um, a platform to conserve biodiversity, but also cultural diversity and allow people to think in not just one solution, but one and two and three and four and five and six solutions. Uh, because I think nature does provide for us this abundance of solutions and, and ways to imagine life. Uh, one of the things that I am very excited about is that recently I went to Batuf Valley, which is in the Galilee. And um, so the farmers of the Batov Valley gave me some seeds and I'm going to go give them some seeds. And for me, that's super exciting because we've been severed uh, from each other as if their cultural development and biocultural development is separate than ours. But in uh, exchanging these seeds together, I feel like we are um, uh, reweaving ourselves as a people uh, through these seeds. So I'm very, very excited. Uh, I'm taking some of the Jadui watermelon to them, which is a, a threatened species that we've been able to 
at least now revive and hopefully by the end of the year we'll be able to eat some watermelon together. Actually, Israel, you know, um, one of the saddest things that's happening here, speaking of the impact of the occupation on our farming, uh, is that Israel and the international community in the name of uh, agricultural development are pushing our farmers, uh, are pushing our farmers into monocropping. Uh, they're pushing our farmers uh, to uh, produce food in these greenhouses that actually consume so much chemical input. Uh, so we're being transformed from uh, soil and sun-based agriculture to greenhouse agriculture, which we actually don't need. Uh, the chemical input that goes into the production now is alarming. Uh, that's why I mean when I say they are poisoning our soil and we don't even know it. Like we, Many of the farmers don't even know uh, the impact of, of these chemicals on their farms or on their families. Uh, so this is, I mean, this is tragic because you're poisoning someone's soil, but you're also um, destroying the biodiversity that allows people to survive uh, and actually make farmers more uh, autonomous. So when you grow one thing only, like now uh, they want the farmers to grow these Dutch tomatoes in all the greenhouses. Well, okay, you grow all the tomatoes, you get one disease in the tomatoes, and then that's it, you're done for the whole season. And, and this is happening with farmers all over the world. And here you have it like doubled with the whole uh, military occupation also because uh, these farming communities, they don't have many choices. And so you end up finding a lot of the people from the farming communities uh, working in, uh, in security. So Ramallah is full of uh, people who uh, work also in whatever, in the city doing uh, basic jobs that really uh, they shouldn't be doing because uh, they're being pushed to do that and they, they're being severed from their farming uh, communities because they, it's just not sustainable anymore. And of course, Israeli agribusiness has managed to sell the myth that agribusiness all over the world is selling, that you know uh, we need them and we need their seeds for more production. But if you go and talk to any farmer, I mean, they will tell you, oh, that's true. Uh, you're right, in the long run, this is more expensive. Of course it's more expensive because now you are not a producer, you are a consumer. And what better way to enslave someone but make them your consumer? So not only are we being put in a warehouse, we're also being made into consumers for the owners of this warehouse, if you will, or the people who claim to own the warehouse. Um, so this is very dangerous when a human being is reduced to uh, a production machine rather than um, a, a living uh or a human being, it's, it, you can't kill someone uh, in a worse way because I can shoot you and kill you physically and that's probably better than this slow uh, extraction of your soil from literally your soil and your body. So uh, yeah, I mean this is definitely something quite disturbing. 
My search for seeds was also my journey of searching for my own sense of self-value. Uh, and it was also my way of searching for who I am because I'm someone who uh, left my country and I went and lived in other places and I also felt connection in other places uh, but I always missed where I'm from, I missed the food, I missed the smells, I missed the soil literally. Uh, so I think that uh, when I returned and I, I was looking for these things and I couldn't find them, I became alarmed and it was kind of like I'm losing a sense of myself. So in a way it was just my own journey of trying to find parts of me and weave them together to make sense of my life. Um, and then I realized slowly, like my, I started looking for seeds and then I would post things on Facebook and then so many people would respond and I was amazed to see how many people are also finding themselves in the seeds. Because sometimes I wonder like why does this touch so many people and the truth is it does because every seed has a story, every seed has a, a, a memory and some of them have obviously the collective memory. Everyone remembers uh, their grandmother's bread or if they don't remember it they've heard about it. Even uh, people in refugee camps, which also touches me a lot, the fact that you have a new generation that was born in a concrete jungle, but their grandparents, they weren't. They were born in a place where they actually made food and gave food from a place of great abundance. So uh, I feel like that's the true violation of a human being's right to know oneself. So for me, I guess I'm still learning who I am through finding more and more uh, seed varieties. And I guess in the end, we are all seeds. If you go to any supermarket in Palestine, you, what do you find? You find like the, really, the remnants of food. <laughs> and it's not really food. Uh, you find uh, cheap canola oil, you find uh, everything, sugar, everything. Our, even our bread is full of sugar. Uh, you find our bread is also made all with yeast, this commercial yeast. We didn't used to use this yeast. We used um, our own, uh, we call it uh, Arabic yeast, which is basically sourdough. Uh, and I even speak to some older women in, uh, in some villages and they say, you know, we started getting sick when we started to have this commercial bread, for example. So people actually know, like the elders here know, they know what's happening to us. Um, and when you destroy someone's health, you also destroy their spirit, you tell them they're not worth anything, you fill them up with sugar and uh, basically we are poisoning our bodies, our soil and uh, our spirits are also being poisoned because they have put us in a warehouse basically. We're being pushed, pushed like, you know, when you have things in your house you don't want, you put it in your attic, you put it somewhere as in storage. So. This work we're doing with seeds, we're doing it in an environment where we're actually literally living in a warehouse. So people are also struggling for their survival. You can't uh, imagine how challenging it is uh, to talk to people about 
taking care of our soil and our health in a context that they really don't feel uh, any silver lining is, is in the horizon. So this is where the work is most difficult, but it is where it's most important. Because for me, I think that's when the occupation really, really wins. It's when we really, really start to believe that we are trash and we start to eat trash and we start to live as if our lives don't matter and they are trash. And so I guess the best form of resistance is to refuse, refuse the dialogue of, of your oppressor and say, I am not trash and to discover your wonderfulness and say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to eat your trash uh, and I'm going to create my own garden or my own heaven here, even in this warehouse. And it's not easy. It's obviously not easy. And I'm probably more privileged than most people. Um, and yet I think we can all make a choice to try to make our lives a little bit more tolerable in this, in this time because we will be free. Uh, not right now, but we will be. Or perhaps we are already, you know, if we want to, which is, anyway, a big, much bigger discussion. But for me, I feel free when I have these seeds in my hands and uh, I go to farmers and we're growing something that we haven't been able to grow in many, many years. I feel a triumph, I feel a victory, I feel amazing. And then the children come and then they ask questions about this and they learn about who they are. So for me, that's celebrating this life uh, and this heritage is, 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 a, is a victory. I mean, it's easy to say everything. Uh, the practice is obviously much harder, but it's like you don't have a choice. I mean, you don't have a choice to not try to save whatever is left of you. I don't see the occupation in Palestine in isolation of the global reality. Uh, I don't think it would exist without all the other connections in the world that make such uh, a brutal uh, military occupation exist. For me, um, the word resistance has also taken a new meaning. So I'm no longer committed to old forms of thinking about resistance. I'm more interested in um, creating more the world I want. Uh, I feel like, even though I often talked about uh, agro-resistance and I still believe in that, I think the greatest form of resistance uh, to a colonial power, to any power, is to learn to love yourself, which I know may sound cheesy sometimes, but actually uh, I feel like with our work with seeds, uh, the greatest journey has been to revive our sense of self-value. And we do that through understanding that, you know, uh, even though uh, the, the colonial powers tell you that you're not worth anything. Uh, actually, the truth is your great-grandmother and your grandfather 
uh, left the world uh, a treasure um, of left the world a great treasure so when you learn that you come from a lineage that actually gave something so precious to the world and contributed to the survival of the human species you start to think of yourself differently and i think for me that's the greatest form of resistance uh, because when you see children learning that we have something amazing to contribute you see them transforming even their body language transforms um, and you do it like with the little seeds that look very uh, basic but actually carry within them the dna of, of of people who are rising beyond nationalistic discourse but actually understanding the value of who they are as a as a human collective I know nothing of the future, uh, but I do know that I hope that whatever work I do will be a contribution to expanding a safer space. Um, and I think our future here is very much linked to a global future. So it's hard for me these days because I don't think anymore of Palestine and our future here in separation uh, to the future of the planet actually and our human species because while we're too busy you know obviously surviving and our struggle is very real um, I think very soon it's it's gonna be very hard to to kind of turn a closed eyes and not see our connection to the collapse that's happening in the world. I don't mean to give a dark uh, view, but what I see is as climate change becomes more and more evident, it's gonna be um, richer people that are gonna manage climate change a little bit better. It's gonna be more tolerable for them for a little longer. They'll be able to buy water. They'll be able to maybe have air conditioning. I don't know. Uh, while the poorer people are gonna just have it much worse. So for us here, we're burning up. I mean, uh, it's been such strange weather for us in the last three years, it's become even more and more clear. So I don't have a very optimistic view of the future, not just for us in Palestine, but also for us as a human species, like I said. However, I think there is definitely an obligation and a responsibility for us, our generation, to leave the future generations with more things that they can use to survive. So my grandmother left me seeds that are alive, so our job is to expand this life rather than leave our future generation with concrete so i don't know the future all i know is right now we're building our own cemeteries in the form of buildings um, and i think we should be invested more in creating life that is more fertile using whatever land we still have left